Kaepernick steps up, will try and run to pick it up. He's got a touchdown. Welcome to Sports Talk, where you'll least expect it here on the campus of Vassar College. My name is Mac Lederman, contributing editor for the Miscellaneous News, and we're here today for yet another edition of Liberal Arts Sports Talk alongside my two favorite professors. On my right, I have Justin Patch from the Music Department and the Media Studies Program. How are you doing? Happy to be here, Mac. And on my left, I have Professor Alex Cuffer from the Film Department and also the Media Studies Program. How are you doing today? I'm excellent, Mac. <laughs> How are you, Mac? Uh, you, I, no one ever asked me that. <laughs> now, like, you're finally asking me. Um, I've been. It's been an okay day. You know, long, long one. But uh, we're we're here nonetheless to uh, talk some specifics around some cool new rule changes we've been seeing throughout um, professional sports. And I guess would you say the XFL league is semi-professional, professional at this point? Aspirationally, aspirational. Okay. Well, look, you're getting yeah, paid yeah. to play the game. That's, that's fair. So, right. to, on a very technical level, <laughs> right? These guys are professional. So, for those of you who don't know, we have this new football league called the XFL. Tagline for the love of the game and for the love of the game, they've made a lot of aspirations with some leaps with some new rule changes. Um, I have some of them in front of me, and I think we'll kind of dive into that and weigh in. You know, football is a sport. You know, we have tweaks in the rules every year, but you know, kind of like is really hard line on these bigger things. But what's interesting about this league, there has been you know um, lots of bids to kind of create football uh, and an alternative football league that have been you know smashed very usually quickly. But this time around, they seem to be trying a lot of new interesting things. Um, for one, uh, the kickoff looks different, the touchback is different, and um, JP, I know you have been kind of following it a little bit closely. What kind of has excited you most so far about these new changes? Well, the thing about it is is the kickoff is the one that everyone's talking about, mm-hmm. and that the kickoff happens, you don't have a team that has a 30-yard run before they hit their first blocker. Um, and so... What we end up getting is something that, you know, no one's allowed to move until the receiver has the ball in right. his hands, and we see a lot better runbacks. And the, and I don't know if this is true. The XFL has been saying it's safer. There are fewer concussions. They do have smaller rosters, so you have mm-hmm. to be more careful with your guys. Um, you've seen some really really good runbacks. Not that we don't see great punt and kick returns in the NFL, but. That's actually been one of the more fun parts of the game is the kickoff. Right. And and if it does at the end of the season, if it proves to produce a lot fewer concussions, I am all for that 100%. Right. I, I saw a stat in some of the promotional materials. It's kickoffs and punt returns are 6% of the plays, but 21% of the concussions. Wow. Um, football's original sin is the mass momentum play where you'd have two teams <laughs> sort of starting from 10 yards back running into each other. So you have literally dozens of deaths in college football, hundreds of like serious, serious injuries to the point where like Teddy Roosevelt had to help step in and make sure football is just not ended. So 
now the kickoff and punt returns are the most dangerous part because you have these gunners who are so fast and so strong going at full speed. It's just a recipe for disaster. The NFL knows it's a problem, so they actually did do something. Yeah. So the Extreme Football League makes this really smart play, and you were saying it makes it so much more exciting. Yeah, it is. And, and the last time the XFL tried this, they outlawed the fair catch, so they were <laughs> looking for guys to get jacked up. Now they've decided that it's more fun to see somebody run with the ball than it is to right. see someone get yeah. knocked out yeah. when they catch the ball. And I'm all for that. Yep. It, and that actually has been um, a very, very cool innovation. I, I'm not sure that the NFL is ready to adopt that quite yet. But for the time being, it makes the kickoff another potentially exciting play versus another play that you just don't really care about. Right. I, I mean, since Devin Hester sort of stopped returning punts, how often do you have sort of these exciting plays? Yeah. The real excitement is, is someone going to get knocked out and seriously injured? Yeah. So it seems like here they really figured it out in an intelligent way. Yeah, which is uh, a bit of a surprise. It I is. i got to be honest yeah. with you. After the last iteration right. of the XFL where it <laughs> seemed like they were dead set on injuring people, <laughs> like this this is different in, yeah. a, in a good way. Yeah. I think their innovations last time were the end of the fair catch and nicknames on jerseys. Yeah. This is far more interesting <laughs> and impactful, I think. Well, JB, you kind of took um, my question kind of right out of my mouth a, little, a second ago. But if you're, you know, Roger Goodell sitting above you in your glass palace, you know, watching a passive, <laughs> you know, XFL game, I guess they're being televised on ABC and Fox. I think ESPN which, and Fox. And ESPN yeah. and Fox, which is, you know, pretty impressive. So, you know, they're out there. They're being noticed. Um what rule changes do you think that have been implemented in the XFL would be easily adoptable in the NFL? And do you see the NFL actually being brave enough to, you know, make those types of switch-ups? Man. So the, the thing I would like to see um, that, the, that the XFL is doing, so they, they don't have point-afters, right? So you score a touchdown, and what would be a two-point conversion is a one-point and then you move the ball back from the two-yard line to the five-yard line, and that becomes your two-point conversion. You move the ball back from the five-yard line to the 10-yard line, it becomes a three-point mm-hmm. conversion. That, I thought, was brilliant, and that's a lot of fun, and it adds another... Again, your point-after attempt is generally pretty uninteresting unless you have a bad kicker who misses. Yeah. Right? Um the the sort of the strategy behind going for two, going for three is great. And I, yeah. I enjoy that a lot. Yeah. Um if I were Roger Goodell, I would think more about that. I I don't think the NFL is ready to get rid of the traditional kickoff quite yet. Although I do see that happening in my lifetime, just because it is dangerous. And it's the thing that if head injuries are ultimately what's going to sap this league of youth interest, yeah. things have to change. And mm. that might be one of them. Yeah. They're certainly not going to get rid of running backs, which is the <laughs> other part yeah. of the game where, I mean, you see wide receivers who have, you know, double digit careers. You find a running back in year yeah. 10, like an Adrian Peterson or something, and that, I mean, the dude is a freak of nature. Well, it's an average of three-year careers yeah. for running yeah. backs as well. The linemen as well, right? They're like sub-concussive hits over and over again. Um, I, I think it's a really interesting idea. You know, college football knows how much more exciting the two-point conversion is. That's why when they hit the third overtime, you have to do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the extra kicks, the extra points are so boring because all it does is lead to more ads. Score a touchdown, ads. Extra point, ads. It just leads to more ads, and it <laughs> creates this, like, four-minute block where you can just tune away. 
So I don't know if he'll change it. He should, but it cuts down on ads. So therefore, they might just sort of stay with it. I think like the extra points are historically accurate nowadays. Mm. Everyone knows about like any Bears kicker is basically guaranteed to miss. <laughs> but otherwise, like it's so automatic because they're so good. Yeah, that's the problem. All these athletes in football are so good that how do you compensate for it? Some ways you have to like get rid of that particular position. Mm-hmm. Um, but although then you they keep them as field goal kickers, so the rosters won't change. Yeah. But I think it is sort of, it adds to the strategy as well. Let's coaches seem smarter or dumber. Gives sort of, you know, ESPN and these networks more to talk about. Yeah. Should they have gone for three? Should they have gone for two? Hmm. The, like, the narratives create themselves. Yeah, totally. And from a televised perspective, you know, um, the XFL is kind of, you know, have been riding their coattails on these new changes as a form of excitement around their league. If you are the NFL, do you do you care that there's another football uh, league knocking on your doorstep yet again? Is it is this? Do you think Roger Goodell is sweating bullets at all, or really minds what's going on? Like, is this a learning experience for him, or is it is he counting his money up in his office still? He, he's counting his money. I mean, the thing about it is, it doesn't compete with the NFL in the season. And to boot, if you got a guy who's a breakout performer in the XFL and he gets drafted. That's more money in your pocket because that's another storyline that people are going to tune in for. It's another recognizable face. The league runs on recognizable faces. And if somebody else that's not LSU, Alabama, Michigan produces a recognizable face in the offseason that builds up hype for August. I mean, look, if you can build up hype for a preseason football game. (laughs) <laughs> right. If you can do that with somebody who has wowed audiences on national TV in April, that's money in the bank for the NFL. Mm. So I, you don't sweat this at all. In fact, you look at this and say, I hope this works out because mm. if it works yeah. out, that's automatically going to give you – even if each team only contributes one guy to the NFL, that's eight guys. Right, that gives you eight storylines that people will tune in for if they saw somebody play in April right. and they got invested in his success. They'll be watching in preseason, which is money in the NFL's pocket. Yeah. It's why they love college football. It's also too the NFL does not sweat anything. Like they're so powerful that there's no sort of substantive threat. Um, one big thing too is that it sort of makes football seem like a more viable career. The NFL doesn't like to see these sort of big names flame out in a year or two, like Cardale Jones. That's not good for them. So they say, no, no, he's not flaming out. He's just sort of going back. So it makes football seem like a more viable career for these Mm. young men. It also makes college football seem like a more viable career. I believe, too, it may be the XFL or the one that folded where they have it in their contracts that they can break their contracts to go to the NFL. So they understand the hierarchy here. And the XFL lacks the star power. You know, their biggest names are literally Landry Jones and Cardale Jones. And, like, honestly, that's about it. Mm. So you need the star power. That's why there's never a threat to the NFL because you can't afford it. Yeah. Um, Nobody can afford it. So I think for those reasons, he just, you know, he's not going to take away anything. Yeah. Anytime. I mean, look, if if Major League Baseball – could get AAA teams on ESPN, Rob Manfred would do it in a heartbeat. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. (laughs) They just can't. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that football can get functionally three leagues, right, NCAA football, uh, NFL football, and XFL football onto ESPN, onto Fox, that tells you something about the, the place of football in America. Yeah. And from kind of a media perspective, um, I guess either you can speak to this, but for Fox and also ESPN, who are kind of co-sponsoring this new league and putting on television, like 
is this a win-win from their perspective, even if it falls flat on their face? Are they under the model, like, the more live football we can be producing on TV, like, people are just going to be endlessly tuning in. The advertisers are going to just keep rolling through. Right. Well, we um, one of the things that the NFL has done really well is make it a year-long sport. Mm-hmm. So things like the NFL draft, at the sort of lowest point in the season, they come out with now this three-day spectacle. The NFL Combine. So they've made it into this year-long thing. So this is just another version of that. Because, yeah, it's a different league, but the players are somewhat familiar, right? You, you know Landry Jones. You know him from the Steelers. You know Cardale Jones from Ohio State. And then Washington <laughs> ended up somewhere. So you, you know them a little bit. And if they make it through, this will be this huge storyline. Think about Kurt Warner, right, who was in the Arena Football League. Warren Moon, who was in the... CFL, so you have these success stories, and it makes the league, the NFL look good. Yeah. Um, so I and it makes the leagues look good. So you'll tune in, right? They want to get more people for the CFL. They want to get more people. I guess the X Arena League, right, no longer <laughs> exists. Arena League is. Um, but but they like that too. So it's the star power that sort of churns everything. It's just more content. Uh, you're saying they sponsor? They don't. They pay very little for rights. I think, especially in the beginning, would be my guess. If they pay anything at all, hmm. the was it the AAFL? I don't think they paid anything for the TV rights. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, the thing is that like more people are probably going to tune into a BB plus football league <laughs> than to random basketball games played yeah. by teams that aren't Duke, UNC. Right. Yeah, um, you know, the Syracuse. mid-level college basketball yeah, games around that, that time. Yeah. Totally. And I think an interesting point of comparison here is what Ice Cube's doing with the big three. Like, mm-hmm. you've had a couple, you know, that's a league entirely run, frankly, put on some, you know, interesting gimmicks. Kind of what the XFL has been kind of, you know, hanging its hat on as well. And you have players from the big three who have transitioned back as, like, washed-up old dudes in the back of NBA rosters and... I'm sure that's probably like a very cohesive relationship for the NBA to have, even as I'm sure they would like to have their G League probably be built up a little bit more. And there's this looming thread of players, you know, jumping across the pond and playing, you know, another um, in other leagues before they go pro. But um, I think like we're seeing a lot of these new exciting leagues come up and they're beneficial. Right. And, you know, they're just increasing the excitement, in the year long, you know, um, kind of mission around the sport. Yeah, the other thing that I think is interesting with the XFL is the average salary is somewhere between like fifty six to sixty thousand dollars a year, but the prime football season for either college or high school happens before that. So you could have a coaching gig, you could be the strength and conditioning mm-hmm. coach at a at a major college, and those guys aren't making all that much money either. And you could actually have a year round football gig that would. Wow allow you yeah. to actually make a decent living doing football. And I think that even though the shelf life for anybody playing professional or semi-pro football is very short, but it does give some of these guys who are sort of BB-plus football players a way of making a little right. bit more money, which I think is good because these guys' bodies get just trashed yeah. in between you know, late yeah. high school and college, man. It's a lot of wear on you. Um, so if they can make a little bit more money before the age of 29 or 30 where you really got to hang it up, I'm all for that. And breaking into the coaching ranks and, you know, exactly. strength coaches, I, I think sort of get those people in the system as well. Mm-hmm. And then for colleges, too, if a guy's a strength coach, 
in the XFL and then comes back to college for six months, that's a great recruiting pipeline potentially, right? Saying, oh, I can get you into the pros a little bit easier yeah. Yeah. as yeah. well. So it democratizes it just a yeah. little bit, I guess. And I give the – and, I, and man, it pains me to do this because <laughs> Vince McMahon is just an abhorrent human being. <laughs> but I would give the, the XFL a shout-out for two things. One is for having uh, coaches and assistant coaches of color. The other one yeah. is for having uh, women referees. Like they have a, uh, I think most of the games I've seen have had one woman on the crew, um, and that's an overall win. That's a big win. Yeah, right? that's so, awesome. So, in both those yeah. categories, giving these referees another eight games a season to be able to hone their craft, get some cred, and hopefully be able to either right. make it to the upper echelon of college, and hopefully up into the pros. Giving these coaches some yeah. cred again, same way, upper echelon of college, and then hopefully assistant and head coaching positions. Like, all that is a good thing. The social know? capital that they yeah. sort of miss out, <laughs> that they can sort of get in these sort of smaller leagues. Yeah, and I think that's kind of like a part of the branding as well. It's just like we're the more culturally progressive yeah. alternative to the NFL. So, you know, it's great that they're Which doing is so that. so weird that it's Vince I know, Matt. right? <laughs> but he's been invisible. Yeah, it's Andrew right? Luck's dad. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> Oliver Luck who's been the face. Wow. But has have you seen sort of Vince McMahon talking about the XFL? Not yet. Because I haven't. No, he actually said, he's like, well, I'm, I'm hands off with this. Okay. I trust Oliver Luck implicitly. Yeah. We've talked about it. I believe in his vision. So he is very much acting like, right. um, like an investor more than CEO. Right. The, the sort of the team owner, not the general manager. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. Luck is such an interesting figure because, you know, obviously Andrew Luck's father, this really sympathetic guy, but he came out of West Virginia. He mm. was AD at West Virginia. Yeah. So this really interesting choice to make him the face of the league. And it's worked well because... I think, you know, under Trump, the sort of connections there that if you see McMahon, it's going to turn off a lot of people. And they've done this yeah. very smartly, yeah. The way they navigated the framing has been quite impressive right. overall. Which um, is something that NFL has really done a poor job of recently, like sort of the politics yeah. in this era. They've really handled it incredibly clunkily. Mm -hmm. um, and the XFL is really trying hard. Yeah. And I think kind of the slogan says it all, too, like, for the love of the game. Like, we're out here playing football without all the politics that is weighing on these people's bodies. And we're trying something new. And we're, we're going to make sure, like... This is football the way it's supposed to be played in many ways, which is very interesting, I think. Um, yeah. So I'll do like, let's do like final thoughts on the XFL. Let's speculate. Um, does this burn in a fiery crash to the ground or is this sustainable? And what do you think is the overall influence and impact of the league going forward? So, I mean, for me, Vince McMahon has given us three years. Um, and I think what they're going to need to do next year that I don't see this year is to have some of these young guys who are playing get up on social media, have exciting, you know, coach them into how do you communicate directly with fans so you get fan investment so that yeah. the XFL makes, you know, young guys who have a great game into, I won't say household names, but at least people who are watching will remember them, yeah. remember their face, right? That's that, to me, is going to be the key. Three years to be able to, to start up a league and turn a profit, three years, that's a... 
tough one. That's nothing. Yeah, Yeah, that's a hard one, man. I think it's interesting, though, how they've already started on that. You know, they're clearly thinking about those things that you mentioned because something that I thought was really interesting watching the highlights is they're interviewing some of these guys' helmets off in the middle of the game after Mm -hmm. they make a big play. Yeah. And as a fan, as someone who's watching this on TV, like, you love to see that. You want to know what's running through these guys' heads, what's their personality, how jacked up they are after they make a good play, how deflated they are after they make a terrible one. Like, that's exciting, right? Mm Mm-hmm. To me, it's you need to develop stars in the NFL. You need the mm. next Carson Wentz or Patrick Mahomes to start there and then really sort of you know blow up in the NFL. Because I think these guys, particularly, you know, that was like an ex Penn State. Was that Matt McGloin? That was somebody who you're like, oh, I vaguely remember that yeah. person. <laughs> and, and I think that's one thing. But I think you need to say like we have these really re- really good players. I think that's one thing. For instance, that like MLS Major League Soccer has really struggled with because say we have some players, but like the David Beckhams of the world, right, who are really on the downside of their career, all the best players are in Europe, including the best Americans, right? I, I think you really, the players really need sort of a home and, and a place that you could sort of see the absolute best. That will get them. Is that doable? I don't think so. Hmm. So you know who's mad right now? Maurice Claret, <laughs> right? Because he was the dude who did two years. He wasn't allowed to get drafted until his third year, didn't want to play that third year sat it out, and then never got drafted. And so the XFL, potentially for somebody like that, you could step out of there, be able to make a little bit of money. I mean, again, it's $56,000. A living. Yeah, you make be able to make a living, again, if you are able to step back and coach for a season, make a little extra money that way, and then be draft eligible. And to say, look, you know, if, if you're one of those guys that says, look, you know, my family needs money. Yeah. Right, you can step away from the college game, still be on national TV, mm. make a little money, and I think if you have somebody like a Maurice Claret who is a beast at Ohio State, somebody like that steps away, suddenly right. the XFL is going to get a lot of eyeballs, and they're going to matter. Yeah, but he has to succeed in the NFL. Yeah, that that's sort of the the takeaway, mm-hmm. um, and I think I don't know if the NFL will draft XFL players. I don't know if that's been worked out or if it's all free agent signings. I think if they can bring them in, like maybe a supplemental draft, um, Terrell Pryor Mm. as well, right? Somebody like that who runs into sort of issues with the NCAA. I think with him was like the tattoo stuff with uh, Jim Tressel as well. So if you could get somebody like Terrell Pryor, who was such an amazing college player, to sort of, you know, play for a year or two, get away from the NCAA stuff. A.J. Green, too, got in trouble. He sold his jersey, some nonsense like that. So if you can get them sort of there and playing for a year or two and then go to the NFL and become superstars, Pryor is a I have, an, star. I have a name. Uh, Antonio Brown. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but this is sort of the thing, though. But Brown right now is has been around for a while, clearly sort of a troubled guy. It's an interesting, would he have a place there? Yeah. Yo, if, you, so, if you thought he was mad at Ben Roethlisberger, what do you right. think he's going to be like with a B, B-minus quarterback? <laughs> ben Roethlisberger him, right? washed up. Backup. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm not sure about yeah. that. I mean, I think the people who will be ultimately concerned about the success of the XFL is the NCAA. Right. Mm. Right. The NFL, man, the better the XFL does, the better it is for them. 
the better the XFL does, the harder it is for the NCAA. Hmm. But it's, so, like the NCAA in basketball, you know, now there's the draft. You have to be what's it, eighteen or mm-hmm. one year removed from high yeah. school, where players will go overseas and they have not succeeded when they try to sort of avoid a year of college. But they're not on national TV. That's fair. But I mean, like somebody like Brandon Jennings, right? Who's mm-hmm. like one of the highest recruits. I think was going to go to Arizona or something like that. Decided to go overseas. Mm-hmm. Gets drafted by the box, and he was okay. He had a decent career. He was with the Knicks for a little bit as well. But he's like the most successful. There was a guy, I can't remember his name, on the Nuggets, went to China for a year and sort of really struggled, yeah. things like that. I mean, LaMelo Ball will be, probably be another big test case for it, that It's this a year. really interesting sort of example, right? Um, because he was, you know, one of the best recruits in the country or would have been mm-hmm. as well now, th- now that he's no longer eligible. Um, he's a really interesting sort of test study to see if he'll be a success in the NBA are somewhat disappointing. And, and I think that's why the NCAA has never been worried about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. I think college football is just too big as well. Yeah. So the XFL is like pinned in a little bit by the like the monolith <laughs> that is college football and like the death star that is. Yeah, between a yeah. rock and a hard place. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so kind of just like going off what you guys were saying is about star power and like star power really being a, strive, uh, a driver of what, you know, successful sports branding and what successful sports leagues look like. Let's talk about the NBA All-Star game this weekend. You have all your stars in one place, and even when you have all your stars in one place, this is the one scenario where it just flat out doesn't really work year after year. You, they try to incentivize, well, I mean, people watch, but as far as, you know, enjoying basketball with, or the intensity in which we do enjoy basketball, that is just not there. They tried to incentivize the game with the money two years ago. That didn't work. It seems like they're trying a different gimmick each year just to get these guys to really just play against each other with, you know, as they would, as if it was a playoff game. And they finally accomplished that this past All-Star game. The Elam ending, which had been implemented in the basketball tournament in the summers before, and NBA, I guess, had been keeping an eye on that. They set the score of this final game at 157, which is a ridiculous score to begin with. Well, I think it was the third quarter yeah. plus 24, right? Yeah, it was Kobe. 24. Yeah, 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 but, you know, all those specifics for Kobe are kind of neither here or there. Right. But this this last <laughs> rule actually made for an exciting a- ending, a pickup basketball-type ending. Um, if you guys watch the game or watch the highlights, I'm just wondering what you really thought of the way that gimmick kind of played out on TV. Can I just make one point real quick? You said the NBA All-Star Game is the least successful. You're forgetting about the Pro Bowl. <laughs> Literally nobody cares about the Pro Bowl, yeah, yeah. especially the players, but the fans who as well. So it's it's maybe not like the MLB All-Star Game, but it is way above the Pro Bowl. Well, I mean, yeah. A friend of mine referred to watching Pro Bowl football to be an alcoholic and drinking like bad, bad liquor. He was like, when you have an addiction – you just sink. You stoop to the lowest level, I th- right? <laughs> I think that's what it is. You you have this withdrawal system. You're yeah. like, this will do. Well, well. Either way, like all star games right. haven't been. You know, they're like a draw for the NBA. They're somewhat yeah. a draw for baseball, for football. Just kind of like uh, whatever. But you know, when you get all the best players in one place, like you expect right. something in great theory, to happen. It should work yeah. way better than it actually <laughs> does. Yeah. So, in, so moving past theory, what has actually happened in this last one? Like, what, what do you guys think? I thought it was it was fun. I mean, you know, full disclosure, I only watched the fourth quarter, right? So I have no idea what <laughs> happened in the first three quarters. I heard about it. I looked at the box score. I was like, cool. Um, but they, they basically turned the All-Star game into a park ball game. Yeah. And the most exciting version of basketball <laughs> you're ever going to get is always park ball. And the thing about it is you have to motivate the players because players are competitive people. They wouldn't be where they are if they weren't hyper-competitive. Right. 
and you have to find a way to make them competitive and like dropping the ball in the fourth quarter and basically saying game to 24 go <laughs> like that's fun yeah and that's something that these guys yeah. really clearly got into and i don't know if it has to do with the leadership like who who your team captains are and sort of how they manage their teams and all that. But whatever LeBron and Giannis were doing, <laughs> those guys really showed up to play. Totally. And and it was fun. It was great. Yeah, I, I think what basically they do, they acknowledge in most basketball games, the first three quarters don't matter at all. Mm-hmm. So they sort of figured yeah, that that's out. Been, that's been universally accepted. Right, but now it's acknowledged. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I also think, again, the idea with the All-Star game, like they're so talented, they're so skilled. So watching these guys just throw sort of endless dunks and alley-oops down, it gets a little old. It's weird to say this, but like watching these guys do these amazing individual tricks gets sort of tiresome. So here you can actually see them go head to head. And it's sort of like this weird acknowledgement that you actually need defense in order to have the all-star game where nobody thought that was important. <laughs> so for the first time they're saying it's not just the offense because we know they can do that spectacularly, but also when they really start to care on defense, oh, turns out it's super interesting and fun. Well, I think part of the issue though is the in-game dunks are cool. It's just that, you know, the day before that you watch the dunk competition and that's way cooler than any in-game dunk that you're going to see. So it's like you have this sort of embarrassment of riches where whatever alley-oop that gets thrown up and whatever, you're like, that's cool, but Aaron Gordon just, you know, jumped over Taco (laughs) Fall yesterday (laughs) and that didn't look, this does, this dunk, this in-game dunk doesn't look half as interesting as that. Yeah. I mean, how often do we see, like, just, you know, LeBron in practice dunk highlights? It's in games when he's sort of yeah. running over and jumping over people, but never just on it on his own. Yeah. So it's this idea that you have to do it over people who are trying hard because their athleticism, we just take it for granted nowadays. So anything that they can do in All-Star games previously, just we're like, yeah, I, I don't think it matters. Yeah, the embarrassment of riches for the NBA right now is just very interesting because, you know, they have this, like, giant awesome spectacle in the middle of of their season which is kind of a testament to how strong the game is and they have all these different aspects and they haven't really cleanly figured out how to do how to not overdo it how to make it the right amount so far you see them trying new things every year like before the actual game it took them like two and a half hours to play the actual game because they had the five or six kobe tributes that were just like totally overdone then they had common wrapping the intros and that was like a little bit extra so like just a little bit. <laughs> just, 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 a tad, just a tad bit extra. So, like, you see them kind of, like, trying all these new things, and it's like you never think this league that had this drug, the serious drug problem in the 80s would have this problem that, you know, is kind of almost a good problem to have, right? right? It's just having way too much stuff and not knowing how to put it all together. Yeah, it's interesting because I think the only all-star game that maybe sort of kind of matters is MLB mm-hmm. because interleague is not – a normal thing. Now it is, but for a long time, you never see the AL and NL guys play except in the All-Star game. They also do an interesting thing with baseball where every team gets one representative. Yeah. So, you know, I followed the Brewers my whole life, and the Brewers have been really, really bad most of the time. So you get to see, like, Jeremy Burnitz or John Jaha play against really good players, get a national stay get on the national stage. So I think they've managed to make it a little more interesting. And then you have things like, you know, Pitchers, it's not that easy to groove a baseball, so they're not necessarily trying just to sort of give home runs. But they've struggled, too, or to give up home runs. Mm -hmm. They've struggled, too, but it is weird that the NBA has struggled so much when it should be pretty easy. Yeah, and given how popular the league is and how each one of these guys has, like, a million followers or at least, you know, hundreds of thousands of followers, you would would think that 
the All-Star game would be a give-me. And the fact that this year was the first year in very long memory. You know, the other yeah. thing I'll say just for myself is that, like, <laughs> the All-Star game is cool, but I grew up like a Celtics fan in the 80s. And so the Celtics Lakers basically was an All Star game, yeah. <laughs> right? So yeah. when you when you grow up like you know throughout the eighties, basically having an All Star game on TV, yeah. it it sort of it takes your taste for the actual All Star game down a notch because you're like, well, I've I've seen better players play already, right? You don't get to see a lot of interesting combinations because you have it's a LeBron and Anthony Davis, who you see all the time play, right? Yeah. Giannis and Chris Middleton, who all the time play. So you have fewer teams represented. So maybe that's maybe they should go to like one guy per team. So you get some more interesting players in there. And you get this mix of like, I don't know, Zion and LeBron playing together. It'll happen, but not right now. Yeah, I think so. you're totally on point. The key is like how many different narratives can they create and kind of unlock from the game. And I think kind of this Elam ending is just a start for it because, right. you know, final two seconds of the there's no time on the game, actually, because, you know, Team LeBron has one point away from yeah. getting the 157. Now now LeBron's at the top of the key facing Giannis one-on-one. Like, that in itself, that's a moment. That's a storyline sure. that they were able to create out the game. Right. So it's just a matter of how many more of these moments and things to talk about the next day can actually be, you know, manifested. What I think basketball should do is instead of All-Star <laughs> Weekend, have a whole week, and they should have a one-on-one tournament. Because, awesome. yeah. you know, these dudes are all competitive yeah. one-on-one. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Right? How awesome would that be? That would be amazing. And, and to see, like, the bigs go up against the small and, yeah. and these sort of guys. How do you guard Steph Curry versus LeBron? Who has the edge? All the whole thing about who is the best player in yeah. the league, we will settle that over All-Star Weekend for sure. Yeah. It would be one amazing. Oh, my God. Never going to happen in a million no, years. No, no, no. It would be, be amazing. Oh, yeah. how, how awesome <laughs> would that be, man? Yeah. One, one small hiccup to that, I was listening to this interview with Tracy McGrady, who I guess is you know doing more TV stuff yeah. this day. And they were, He's and, on the jump, I believe, yeah, right? Yeah, one, the, the, one of ESPN's main basketball shows. And they asked him, what would happen if you played KD one-on-one? And he said, well, it depends who gets the ball first. So that might be a problem. These guys are just such elite scorers. It might actually come down to who gets the ball first in a pickup game. I, I think it would be super interesting to see how they adjust. Yeah. Right? It's not necessarily who wins, but like if Garnett is just sort of barreling over him, how do they sort of adjust? Because they're so smart and so crafty and know each other really well. Mm-hmm. And how do they sort of correct? Mm-hmm. I think would be that to me is sort of almost more fascinating than like who gets the 21 first. Yeah. Um, what happens in the middle of these games and the end game too, how they sort of figure that out would be amazing. As like a basketball strategy would be spectacular. Mm-hmm. But because people have to lose right away and people are going to look bad. Mm-hmm. Never gonna happen, unfortunately. Too bad. I know. Oh, they could they could try it in the G League, which I think you know NBA. If they're actually interested, you know, in creating these new initiatives, like there's room to do it. Whether it be a G League, Big Three, like there's these built-in organisms that you can kind of play around with things. You're assuming those guys don't have egos. Yeah, 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 maybe, (laughs) maybe not yet. Right. We'll see. Uh, I I think we're kind of like on to something fun right now. It's like we're kind of brainstorming new things that could kind of be happening that would play well on TV. New rules. Um. I don't know, do you guys want to just, like, throw out maybe, like, some other rules or new additions you think would, you know, look good for any respective big sport? (laughs) It it wouldn't look good, and it would never be adopted. It would be fun. So hockey, when they do overtime, (laughs) they do big ice, right, where they start taking guys off the ice. Yeah. So NBA, start 5-on-5. When you go overtime, (laughs) becomes 4-on-4. You get, like, three minutes of 4-on-4. If it's still tied, 
goes to three on three. And then eventually, like, if you're really good, it's like one on one with your two best dudes going full court. <laughs> of course, you can't inbound there. So then it becomes a bit of it. But you just check at the top of the key. Yeah. It, it literally becomes a park ball game. That would be awesome. It's funny. I had the same idea with football. You go to seven on seven, right? <laughs> yeah. And you take away the linemen. So you just get the skill guys going. It's like cornerbacks and wide receivers and quarterbacks just going. Mm-hmm. So it's just speed and skill instead of sort of, you know, the whole strategy of it all. So you yeah. really sort of distill it down. Yeah. I mean, I would, I would like to see the XFL experiment with some of the, the tiny rule changes, like, you know, illegal receiver downfield or whatever, to right. allow for instead of um, having necessitating five linemen. If you wanted to put two tight ends in there and roll the dice against the other team's linebackers, I would be all for that. So you only have three down linemen, and then everybody else becomes an eligible wide receiver. So it becomes a little bit more yeah. like park ball. I mean, give the you know the run pass option was so important. If you give them more receivers, more options, oh, yeah. just you know create more strategy. Yeah. Which I don't know if it's necessarily the best for TV, but it makes it more exciting. Yeah. Um, I, I think that would be something that would be sort of fun. Now, a lot of this stuff comes back to, like, mass momentum plays, why mm. you have to have the five, five linemen, everyone has to be still for a second, yeah. only one guy in motion, and so on. Yeah, I was about to say, like, under that scenario, like, someone's getting laid out <laughs> probably a lot more frequently, right? It's football's, you know, original sin that they have to still sort of correct for. Um, in part, too, because if you have, you know, two giant tight ends coming at mm. you, if you don't know, if you're not prepared for it, yeah. you know, like the Patriots when they were mm-hmm. doing that. That could cause a real yeah. problem, or uh, or you know having the ability to change um, how many how many uh, players are allowed to go in motion pre snap. Mm-hmm. So obviously you can't have two in motion at the same time, but you could shift a tight end over and then shift a running back over and be able to like shift your offense. And you think of what Bill Belichick did um, in the Super Bowl against the Rams, where the off the defense would set up one way, and then once the headsets cut off. They would shift. Right. You right? could still do that. Yeah. Okay. But to allow the offense to do that. So you have, right. you have, and, and you also, you have to bring in better athletes. Like your running backs have to be able to block. You're, you know, yeah. you're, it's like everybody becomes a tight end, right? It has to be able to do two things yeah. at once. And I think, I think you like raise an interesting point too, because if you look at like, you know, what has made the NBA so compactable for social media and also just, you know, so watchable is this new speed and quickness of the game. So if in football, if you can implement more of these rules that just, like, make the game go faster, you know, really highlight the athleticism of individual players, you know, that's highly marketable in many ways. But part of it is that you need the athleticism. Somebody like LeBron, he's able to have this positionless basketball because he literally can play anything. Yeah. And it goes, you know, I was thinking, like, the Notre Dame box that Newt Rockney sort of innovated in the 20s and 30s because you have four backs who could play any position, right? And Notre Dame in the 50s and 60s were able to do this because they had such raw athletic talent where these guys could play halfback, fullback, quarterback, you name it, they could play anything, quarterback. Uh, so anything that they wanted to play, they were able to sort of implement so that you could have them moving around and shifting all four. And it's I don't know if you could sort of do that with most teams because you don't have the four guys who could sort of be this useful and this, you, you know, can't do what the Chiefs flexible. did right. on that fourth down <laughs> yeah. play, which was glorious. The twirling really that helps. so great. Yes. That's awesome. Oh, man. <laughs> well, I got a new rule for you, potentially. Um, I'm excited to see what you guys may think about it. Um, EuroLeague basketball, you can, you know, bat the ball off the rim a little bit, while in the NBA, that's more of a goaltend. Do you think something like that would work in pro basketball, or are these guys just way too athletic? I, I think so. I, I think those plays, when they happen, are fairly rare. 
Um, one of the interesting things would be sort of more goaltending where the ball's going down. Yeah. Um, that I think, you know, sometimes with the ball bouncing off the backboard, they'll have to slow it down. I feel like LeBron gets caught in that play a fair amount because mm-hmm. he's so athletic that he can, like, get the ball as it's bouncing off the backboard. I don't. Does it make a big difference, though? I think maybe, maybe not. It okay. would. I mean, how many goaltendings do you have, like, a game anyway, right. like two or three? I just think these guys, like, you see when they call, you know, the timeout and someone shoots a shot, like, these dudes can just right. jump off the roof and, like, pick the ball up above the rim out of the ceiling. Yeah. So it's going to really, like, it would really slow down scoring in many ways, but it would make the game more exciting. There would be more blocks, right? I just don't know how sustainable that would be. It's interesting because the bigs are becoming a smaller and smaller part of the game. Yeah. So it would sort of give them this interesting, like, counterbalance to the Steph and Clays mm-hmm. of the basketball world. Yeah. It would definitely change the complexion of teams that play small ball right. and don't really compete for rebounds. Yeah. That would then become a bad look. Right. The Rockets would not be happy. You know. <laughs> but it's interesting to think about, like, the value, how they shit. You know, somebody like Clint Capella could sort of become far less valuable in just a few years. Mm-hmm. Um, how much – what a, like, huge seismic shift you have in the sport compared to, like, other sports where you don't have that. Mm-hmm. Well, what do you think about the four-point shot that the big three <laughs> That was my next question. I think it would kind of make for bad basketball. Because, like, how many of them can consistently make it? Yeah. I mean, that's what they said about the three-point line, right, back in the day. Like, how many people can actually make this shot? And, like, now that there's a whole generation of athletes who have grown up, you know, practicing and making that shot, it's almost, like, too easy of a shot now for too many of these guys. I mean, it means you have to spread the floor because you got to play half-court defense, like, in the most literal sense, Mm -hmm. which is fun. Like, when this floor gets spread out, when you don't muck it up, it means you've got guys who have running lanes. And dudes with running lanes are just fun <laughs> to watch. Yeah. Like, that's just what it is. So I think, I don't know, I, the four-point shot in the big three is gimmicky, but I still enjoy it. You know, some gimmicks. But those guys, like, they don't have the speed that yeah. like, that, that you tend to lose first. Yeah. Um, it, it would be interesting, though. I, I think the problem is, though, would you want a shot that realistically people will make 20 to 25% of it? They'll miss, you know. Three quarters of the time. Mm-hmm. Does that make for more or less interesting basketball? You could say it makes for more rebounds and sort of playing mm-hmm. closer to the rim as well. Yeah. So maybe. I mean, maybe eventually players will learn how to shoot that shot at even a higher clip. Th- that's fair. Um, it would. One way that I think it could work is take out the three-point shot yeah. and just make it two or four. That could be really interesting where you don't give them the middle ground. Mm-hmm. Um so that could be sort of fun, but it would really suck for people like J.J. Redick for a few years, <laughs> yeah. you know, who obviously sort of do that for a living. Um, maybe that's one way to do it, because otherwise it just becomes these long-range sort of shooting contests, and very few people can make 30%, yeah. 40%. There would be a lot more chucks for sure, but I think there would be a lot more dunks in-game, which would be right. exciting, just about the speed, and, you know, you could throw alley-oops a lot more easier right. at the floors, more space, so... You know, I'm kind of I'm kind of iffy on it, but you know, it, it interests me the four point shot. I wouldn't take one myself because that's not my range. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I'd have to see how successful players are in doing it. Yeah, yeah, um, and then do do you implement a two point free throw from the four point line? Oh, that's interesting. Okay, right. So mm. if you take a shot that in the run of play is maybe a twenty five percent shot, outside of the run of play is maybe a sixty percent shot. Right. Do you do you take that? Like if Are you, you asking get, me? No, yeah. If you, if you get an and one, yeah, right. You hit the bucket, so you only have one. Do you roll the dice back all the way up to whatever thirty-two or thirty-five feet out, 
and take the shot to try to get two points instead of one. Mm. And it may be something that only happens in high leverage moments. Yeah. Which also makes it awesome. Yeah. That, I mean, that would be fun. I mean, back to your point from way earlier, like the more strategy you can kind of implement in the sport, maybe all the time that doesn't play well on TV, but it makes, you know, for more exciting and complicated decision making if yeah. you're a sports fan. It's a perfect combination of coach's strategy and player's skill. Yeah. So, and I think that's what you want to find that sort of sweet spot. So that I like the idea of like the two point free throw that you can leverage potentially to create a six point play. Really just <laughs> crazy. <laughs> that, that would be awesome. A six yeah. point play. I am all for that. <laughs> Absolutely. Mind boggling. We really, you know, left this you know, we've left Chicago Hall and Vassar College and have elevated ourselves into space. Um, so um, any we're kinda running out of time here. Any final parting shots, any extra rules you might just wanna, you know, kinda put out there uh, before we uh, we say our piece? Eliminate the Designated hitter? Mm. <laughs> Boring. <Interesting. laughs> no, come on, man. Big Poppy. Yeah, you but... You can't hate? I kind of can, because you play for the Red Sox. Oh, it's messed I, up, do, you, man. do you like seeing pitch... Like, seeing a pitcher hit is, like, fun, like, the first time? Oh, no, time. It's, it's painful, yeah. but the strategy of sort of substituting players. Now, it, admittedly, it's strategy that involves long commercial breaks, so it's not that exciting, but it becomes sort of more fun to think about how you move around players, and that makes a much better sort of role for the manager. And again, it's both parts of the game, and I like the pitchers who are very valuable because they can hit. Giovanni yeah. Gallardo a couple years ago, right, could hit home runs. David Carlos Cohen. Zambrano, yeah. So you have that sort of interesting thing, and they learn to hit. Uh, the Reds, for some reason, always have pitchers who can hit really <laughs> well. I don't know why. They can't throw the ball well, but they can hit really well. So I, I think it just makes it a little more exciting. It's never going to happen because of union. Yeah. The union doesn't want, you know, Big Poppy was making a ton of money every mm-hmm. year. You have these sort of guys who are washed up who can be a DH. Yeah. Is Pujols a DH yet? Um, if he isn't already, he, he probably, probably should be. be. Right. Yeah. So it, it's a way to sort of park high-priced players, which has its own sort of issues. Good for mm-hmm. them for getting paid, but, again, not the most exciting thing. Yeah. So that's my, if I was, you know. I'll give you one parting thought that this would be another <laughs> half-hour conversation, but the whole thing about intentionally hitting batters, because that, yeah. that came up in a big way this week. Oh, yeah. And, like, yeah. Caesar set a line on how many Astros will... Yeah, I saw I there was, was like 80, 80, 82 yeah, or 83. Like yeah, yeah, I was like, oh, oh, that's bad. Because there's only how many guys in the lineup, which yep. means each dude gets hit about eight times in the season. <laughs> yep. That's and the not first good. one to get hit in the head is going to be a real. No, that's going to be right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, so. yeah the, the sort of weapon is, and there's been like attempts to sort of dial it back because you know, the trying only, to make it less cavemany. But yeah, the the only thing, look, man, baseball is stupid. Yes. Right. Because <laughs> because you get hit with a ball, and there's a good chance that the pitcher stays on the mound. You hit a dude with a bat, and everyone's like, yeah. oh, man, that's assault. I was like, yo, somebody hits me with a ball? Right. Like, if I'm not hitting a pitcher with a bat, that catcher's <laughs> getting his hat taken off the next time around. Right. Like, I am not here for just, just you know, taking a punch for charity. Right. Like, that they go after the other up. team's best player. It just yeah. it perpetuates. The cycle of sort of meatheads just perpetuates. Yeah. And it's really dangerous and can really sort of harm someone's career. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, literally someone has died from being hit with a baseball on the field. It wasn't intentional, but yeah. it has happened. And it's just so dumb. And it's also to the hypocrisy of everyone getting upset when how many teams had players who did steroids? Yeah. How many World Series titles were forfeited? Zero. So just the like the short-term memory 
of these geniuses is really irritating. Yeah, I'm, I'm willing to say <laughs> if you hit a batter, look, you lose con- if, if a guy does not hit inside balls well and you're throwing an inside pitch and you lose control of it and it hits the guy in the torso or the leg, yeah, that that's happens. a bad mistake, yeah. Yeah. right? But it's not intentional. You go after somebody's head or, or you throw it in a way that clearly was intentional. And you can tell. They like, umpires can oh, yeah. tell, right? Yeah. Like, you got to sit out. Like and not just sit out a game. You got to sit out a couple of rotations. Yeah. And this if you sit a pitcher for a month, they're never going to do yeah. that again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this is the thing with baseball, right? Is a lot of these like cultural norms from 100 mm-hmm. years ago have kind of just really stuck around. Like I was told, like it all, literally all growing up through baseball. Like if you get hit by the ball, like you pretend like it didn't touch you. Like you can't like grab your arm. Like that's one of the sins of baseball. Like <laughs> if you get beans. And, you know, like, we're not really adjusting or thinking about the same way as we're thinking about injuries in other sports, potentially. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I mean, you had Nick Markakis of the Braves talking about every player in the Astro needs a beating. Like, what are you doing? You're, you're <laughs> yeah, a professional yeah. <laughs> athlete. Like, what the hell are you talking about, this weird sort of mob justice? How many Braves did steroids? How many, you know, of your teammates did steroids? Just knock it off. Well, I guess we're glad we're not getting uh, beaned by baseballs, and instead we're just talking about baseballs. Well, now we might, because we yeah, said it's no, a dumb right? idea. I know. <laughs> so we'll wait and see for that, but for now, I think we're out of time. This is Liberal Arts Sports Talk, sports talk in the place you would least expect it. I'm Mac Learman. To my right, I have Justin Patch. To my left, I have Professor Alex Kupfer. Thank you for doing another episode of the show, we'll catch you next time.